I wouldn't have been able to do foundation if I hadn't done the crown. Mm, because really? I yeah, I learned the speed of and the scale of of the, the machinery that that these productions have. You know, the these big epic television because you're really you're really bringing that high the high production values of film with you, but you're going at two hundred miles an hour. And I I definitely learned how to do that on the crown. The Scottish brogue we've just heard is from Jane Petrie, the costume designer on the television series Foundation. And it's interesting how the crown influenced her. And this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Besides the crown, she's worked on French Exit, The Party, Moon, Black Mirror, and The King. And her most recent credits include the award-winning The Essex Serpent and a series that Joss Whedon did called The Nevers. If you think the days of costume designers are essentially setting up a workshop miles and even countries away from the location shooting and then the designing and building the costumes, those days are gone. The studio system, that was all done on the studio lot, but that's no longer the case as movies became more mobile and started filming things on location. We talk about that and how it's affected her work in a rather unique way in which she designs costumes. And we'll learn some uh, information also on behind the scenes for Foundation. Let's get to my conversation with Jane Petrie. You came into it in season two, but they've already had a season already. So how is that like for you with that process to uh, to kind of join it after it's been established already? That was my question when I got the phone call as well, <laughs> because I'm going to have a very different, um, all of us, anybody, not like I'm going to have have a different look, you know, the next person after me will, and, the, you know, that's us, we, we all bring our own thing, um, is the time jump, because we go, each season goes forward, what, 150 years, and, and there's generations away in everything, so it gives it a, a really sort of fresh identity for each season, I think. The only bit that was a little bit of a struggle was there was a kind of a, a request from David Goyer's writing that some of the continuity of the Cleon's costumes, their court costumes, carried over, and we sort of blew them out later. Uh, you know, the, it literally. Um, so the, there was a little bit of a, a slight sort of hangover, but we wanted them to feel like they were stuck in the past. So it it, it worked with the narrative. So I wasn't going to, I didn't need to argue that it made sense. So there's more with Jane Petrie on Sci-Fi Talk. Talking the Crown, and also Foundation. They wear a little more armor in this particular in this particular season. Did you work yeah. on some of that? And, and talk yeah. about, I mean, the materials you use, what did you end up using for this and, and, and really kind of finding stuff that fits within budget and all that's part of your job too? It is part of the job, but the, um, the hard part, I need to it's the speed of foundation is the difficult bit. It's not really the budget or the, I, I mean, you're always working to the budget and, and the, whatever budget you've got, the ambition will be bigger. <laughs> so, you know, you just get used to that in your working life that, okay, there's not going to be enough money and we'll have to solve some problems that are budget related. But the 
the actually the difficult bit on foundation is the pace of it because I think I had only in the end because I came on quite late and I was uh, on my holiday my summer holiday when I got the job wow. so I think I think I had 10 I think I knew about the job for 12 weeks and I think I had 11 weeks prep or something it was so quick so you're working constantly to the schedule. So the, you just work on, right, what's the first armor we need? What what are the fastest solutions to that? And then you start working within the constraints of what's available that can be made in the time we have. How do I take that technology and turn it into language of my own that fits with my designs that's going to look like it's part of the world that I'm trying to build? So you're, you're constantly kind of, restricted and I didn't want to just kind of sort of do I was really keen to try to do something that didn't feel derivative of other sort of because there is there is you can find a science fiction style <laughs> that you can land on quite easily that, that that's tried and tested so that's that's actually quite a quick solution because people know it but I didn't want to just do that because it was easy I still wanted to find my own language so we we did use, we used leather armor for days. You know, when he said it's like heirloom piece, that was leather worked with layers of other materials on top, but the base was leather. Sometimes we used built pieces where we used some, a little bit of 3D modeling with a bit of um, molded materials. Sometimes, you know, with the, the team, you know, they, they bring in millinery, you know, techniques, anything that's available just to kind of get something in a three-dimensional working that, that can give you a feeling of something unfamiliar. But the thing about armor is that it's tried and tested, right? Yeah. People have been making it for thousands of years already. So you can't you can't change the fact that your arm needs to be able to do that with something <laughs> rock. So the armor of the future might be that it looks just like fabric, but it but it's got a you know, except how do you get that onto the screen? How do you tell that story with, you know, so that becomes complicated when you find what might be considered future armor solutions. Well, it doesn't look like anyone's wearing any armor. So you have to kind of come back and, and then go, to, okay, so we're going to use something hard. And if we put a hard armor on, you're going to end up, you've still got two arms, two legs and a torso. So you're going to end up with the same shapes that they had a thousand years ago. So how do we decorate them? So what do we make them out of? So you you kind of loop back around to, again, it's having a clear aesthetic, having a clear idea of what, what I want to say to support the narrative, and then making sure that tonally I've got that because you can't redesign the wheel. It's still got to be worn by people doing action and it's going to be hard. And even if it's soft, you've still got an armpit and a joint and an elbow and a, you know. You, you mentioned uh 3d printing is that so is that a new tool that is entering costume design these days that you can use sort of in your yeah. toolbox yeah i'm not mad about it people do use it and it, it is common practice now but the material is still quite brittle you know and if you if you chuck it if you make a helmet or or it drops or you know it, it fractures it's not it, it's not quite Unless you've got something like, I suppose if you were doing something with, you know, if it was a 
a film, not not the television schedule, and you were filming over months, and you had time to reshoot something so that you can do your action sequences for months on end, then it would be um, more useful because you would you would be able to okay, one one broke will go again. But with television, you've you've also you're also up against things having to actually be really practical so that they can still make the schedule every day. Pretty quick, you know, the speed of it, the the speed of the making, the filming, the scheduling, you know, then you're on the move, you're moving from country to country whilst you're designing it all. So it's, it's, you've, you've got to bring a, a, a really practical brain with you. More with Jane Petrie, the costume designer for Foundation. Now you're on location now, I, I guess, do you have to travel with the, uh, with the company when they're shooting? I guess for any last minute things and that kind of thing, I'm sure you have a team as yeah. well, but, but how does that work? Ooh. Yeah. So for, for example, uh, when we were on foundation and we were filming in the Canary Islands, we had a home base in Tenerife and then we would maybe be in Lanzarote for a bit or we'd go to Divino. And so I would come back to Tenerife where the workshops were and then I could go and take a you know a ferry over to where they were filming and come back some nights. I would stay over, and then when we'd sort of established all the looks, I'd then head to Prague to get that workshop up and running. So that when they arrive from, the logistics are complex. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, when you design, I I mean, I, on your Instagram, there's a lot of sketches, but mm -hmm. do you um do you use hand sketches or do you uh, I mean, you can use programs now. You can do it on an iPad and, and sketch something out. Uh, how do you like to work when you're actually designing something? So that was something that I talked to Goyer about in the first meeting again. And I I know the, the sort of the tradition, if, it, if this was a science fiction feature with six months prep, traditionally what, what I would be doing is sitting with a, maybe a concept artist and some of my drawings and then they would be putting something to... But when you're designing at pace, and actually even that type of thing doesn't really work that well for me. I can do a really lovely drawing. I can work with a concept artist to get a really lovely concept drawing. But the minute you start buying fabric and fitting a human and you working with a cutter and some makers, it changes all the time. So you have mm. to... It, I find... Find, I said to David Goyer, look, if I do concept drawings and we get too locked into what that is, that's quite a slow way of working. The best thing is that if you and I, if I do some quick sketches and put together some mood boards and you and I are clear about the direction we're heading in, I'll work with what we call twirls. So I make up the shape physically on a dress stand. So I make one and then we start going, right, see if that was latex and that was silk and that was a little bit of hard armor let's put in some cardboard knock that into shape let's put a bit of rubber in you know and then you start getting a feel for it actually on a body so that you know that an actor is going to be able to move in it then all of the the design that's in the mood boards and the concept and everything that i've been sketching then really start having that conversation but until you've got something that's going to be we're not making uh an animation it's actually people that act and be in it so there's a there's a point where those drawings are kind of useful if you're selling an idea, but I can do a sketch to sell an idea quicker. 
I'm quicker at just doing a drawing or a collage. I collage quite a lot and put together things and say, you know, this is, it's much more about making sure that I'm understood, that the showrunner understands, in, in this case, it's David Goyer, that David Goyer understands what I'm trying to do and that we've got an actor who's able to deliver what David Goyer wants. And those three things, if, if, if what's on the page everybody's locked into it sometimes doesn't open your mind to you know you get there's so many surprises in filmmaking right accidents oh somebody says oh my god i've changed my mind i think this should be you know famously bridget bardo's bikini in the 007 got made at lunchtime because they didn't let you know it was a complete made on the costume truck at lunchtime and it's one of the most famous costumes ever worn there was no forward thinking. There were no costume drawings. But what there was was a costume designer who had done all of their homework on the script and could make quick decisions that were right for the moment. And so it's it's sort of finding that amount of prep and research on the script so that you make quick decisions and they're the correct ones. And then you can deliver what everybody needs. If you get really attached to a hard design that's been done ahead of anybody being in any garments it can really trip you up you can you can because you just keep going back to something that isn't working whereas if you go in with an open door you're moving something that's starting to work and you get to something that works rather than having to keep go back well this isn't working try it this way try it this way and you'll just get you just get stuck you need to be moving forward when the fittings happen and I always ask this of costume designers, when the actor comes in, do you see them kind of find the character a little bit once they're in the wardrobe and Please. maybe even talk to you a little bit as the character saying, I need a little more of this, a little more of that kind of thing? Absolutely. And it's completely collaborative in that regard because the biggest thrill as a costume designer is when you have been looking at, like, often it, the sketch that I work with are often um, they might be on the back of a call sheet you know it's literally a quick conversation with somebody who can make a pattern and a cutter and then a maker and then and you know or if it's contemporary I've bought some clothes and we try them on it's the same story but the, when the actor puts something on and you go there he is there's the character you know the actor becomes somebody else the character's in front of you the actor is like thrilled because they feel it and then when they feel it they give it to you and then you know i only need one of those in the first fitting and then i can do the rest of the film they can have as many costume changes as they want because i know what to do because i've met them now until you've met them in almost in character is it's academic you know once they, once they've brought it to life you can just you really rule the the clone day is is now a young man, as I understand it. I remember watching him as a child in the first season. So was that something you had to design and work on? Yeah, I had to design and work on all the costumes except those court costumes of the three adult. It's a, con it's a complicated conversation, isn't it? Discussing it, it is. <laughs> because kind of, and when you jump back into the past and you have flashbacks and then it's like, oh, hang on a minute, how, how far back is this? And if this is the first one, how many have we seen since? And who's the father of who's the, you know, the next generation? It's, it is really complicated. But yes, all of those, um, those, yes, I decided, yeah, the child. And I did, obviously, yeah, because I'm going behind somebody else's work to try to come through it. Yeah. But I, I kind of just went with my instincts on that because I 
felt like I needed to make sense of the arc of the series that I was designing. So I didn't, I just didn't overthink it. I just stuck with what my instincts, if it felt like it was jarring with those original costumes, then I would, you know, feel that there was something not working. And if it, if they didn't spring to mind, then it wasn't, it wasn't going to be a problem because it wasn't making me judder, you know. <laughs> Actually, I thought he blended in extremely well. And he kind of has a little bit of a love story. Now, the gardener, was that that's something you did, is that correct? The the female no, gardener? No, that was season one. That was season one. That's right. She was in season one. Yeah. 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 No, she was gone. I mean, that's one of the 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 things that you don't know where uh, David Goyer's brain is because he's thinking across nine and I suppose as a viewer, you know, we, we, we remember the gardener and then you think, oh, what, hang on, she, uh, you know, maybe because of the way that he writes, there's probably little open, little like, bits of light that are going to kind of become big, great big beams in. I have to congratulate you on a few of your other projects. The Essex Serpent, of course, oh, The Crown, you. Crown, and a series that I liked. And because uh, it was set in Victorian times and it was really cool, women-centric, the Nevers that you worked on, too. So um, congratulations on those, too. I thought uh, designing those period pieces, what's that like? I mean, it's some some of those costumes were pretty elaborate. It was really cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I really enjoy it. I, um, I think because I trained in a period costume in my training, uh, and I've worked in a in a place in London called Sands Films, and they do really authentic period costumes, which uh, often they're hand sewn. If they if they design if the story's set before the invention of the sewing machine, then everything's handmade. So I learn authentic period costuming, and then as a designer, it's quite hard when you're a young designer to get period work. So I used to, um, I started out designing um, kind of what, what you might call gritty urban realism, I suppose. And gradually as I started to get period work, as I became more experienced and then you start to get period jobs, I realised that the, the sort of most important part of my, what I was bringing to period design was actually the realism that I'd learned in contemporary design. And then when I applied that brain to period costume, then I then I was really finding something much more thrilling. But yeah, I really like it. I really like it. And, I, and I've done, I mean, we do quite a lot of Victorian over here. That's kind of like when you go to, each country's got their heyday, like you do Westerns, you know. <laughs> And we 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 do quite a lot of um, sort of eighteen nineties, the kind of period of the Essex Serpent. It's kind of a you know a common year that we get. And um, I I think that I basically had had enough maybe in my training that I could be quite confident to push the without tipping into fantasy. Yeah. No, I mean I, that's actually my favorite period in England was the Victorian age. You know, it was such a cool age. So much happened yeah. during that time. And she was an amazing ruler, too. So, uh, I mean, it was just fantastic. But, I mean, the the crown was just some of those costumes. I swear I went back in time and was looking <laughs> at them. And then with the people inhabiting those characters, just amazing casting. And as they grew older, too, it was really cool. Well, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to do foundation if I hadn't done the crown. Mm -hmm. Because really? I... 
yeah, I learned the speed of and the scale of of the the machinery that that these productions have. You know, the these big epic television because you're really you're really bringing that high, the high production values of film with you, but you're going at two hundred miles an hour. And I, I definitely learned how to do that on the crown. There's a picture. I see you with two Emmys and well-deserved. What's it like when you work so hard and then that night you get the recognition? That's got to be an amazing feeling. Well, what was really great, I think, because with the Emmys, the Emmys allow you, not other other awards don't, but the Emmys, you, you, it's a team award. And it's absolutely fantastic because you can put in your supervisor, your key, you know, your immediate, there's, there's no way it's just me, you know, but often yeah. you have to go up on your own and then you start having to list everybody, you're worried you're going to forget them, you know, you've got this, it's like, ah. but the, the Emmys, it, it absolutely recognises that it's collaborative and it's a team and, and it's just, it was so good, that, you know, the Emmys and it's such a, it's such a brilliant Hollywood event as well. We really had a good time, you know. I think that was the, the that was the best really for um I didn't have to make sure that I thanked everybody properly because they were already on the award name uh, recognized properly it was really great that's nice you're on location now can you say what you're working on or is it hush yeah, hush? yeah. yeah. I'm on a um a production uh, called say nothing and it's about um the it's from a book. The book, well, the book. I don't know. I think the end. I don't. Maybe it's not called "Say Nothing." The book's called "Say Nothing," right? So I'm not sure what the final name of our. Maybe you shouldn't quote that. But okay. the book is is called "Say Nothing," and it's by Patrick Radden Keefe, who who wrote um, "Empire of Pain," which was the Sackler family. He's a really fantastic journalist, and this is about the um, IRA and the people wow. that some some of the people, some of the victims who were disappeared. Oh, wow. Well, that's a story that needs to be told, definitely. Really good. And it goes from 1969 to 2013. Wow. That's a challenge for you. (laughs) Talk about that. You know, from like bell bottoms to, uh, you know, (laughs) it's amazing. A lot of it's from memory, unfortunately. When you start to get a bit older, you're like, oh, yeah, you kind of lived through the (laughs) whole. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'm really bad at when I see something and I go, that's not what they wore then. And especially what they say. It's like, no, they didn't talk like that. <laughs> no, I, yeah, you're right about that. There's quite a lot of um, that often happens in scripts. And and the deeper into period you go and maybe the younger the writer, I noticed a lot. I know, yeah, I agree. Really, lastly, when you're designing a costume for somebody that has to do physical work like especially in the nevers so yeah. you have to make it probably a little more flexible than normal yeah yeah you do what 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 you tend to do is you make well in my way i don't I, i'm not sure how any uh, how everybody else does this but for the way that my brain works with logic i make the real one and then you go right okay now what do you need to do in it so We'll drop in this one that has elastic sides, and this one that has an you know an extending I don't know <laughs> torso whatever it needs. This one's got wings. You just you know then you make you insert the bits that you need, and then you can go to and from your kind of home base, which is what it would look like 
if it didn't have to do any action at all. Look for Foundation on Apple TV+, Plus, a really epic series based on the novels by Isaac Asimov. His daughter is actually an executive producer on the series. And you can subscribe to Sci-Fi Talk Plus to get this episode commercial-free. That's right, commercial-free. The catch? Well, actually, Plus is free, and it's for a lifetime. So check it out, sign up, click on the link in the show notes, and you can sign up today and hear this episode and many more, including special shows, without any commercial interruption. This is Tony Tolado. Thanks so much for listening.